right, hello and welcome. This is the PC Perspective Podcast, episode 549. We're back. Took a week off, mostly. Uh, there was an impromptu live stream that will forever be lost for various reasons. Uh, let me go around the horn. Who else is here with me? Um, I'm Josh Walrath, maybe, mostly, partly, all the time. I am uh, Brett Van Spruenberg, and I will do my best to hold up this uh, corner of the podcast. For those who don't know Brett, he's been on one time before, I believe, and once. he is our he is our developer extraordinaire who actually makes. You may have noticed our snazzy new site design, and that's that's all Brett, who Thank also you. has been sort of holding our hand through the transition process with the new back end and helping me on a daily basis with all of my whining and complaining about image loading issues and that sort of thing. So I appreciate I fix that. Things. He's, yes, he fixes things. He's like the site police. He's like, where's your featured image? Like it's coming. It's coming. I <laughs> well, you, you published hit publish already. Yeah. I published a review after maybe putting a quarter of it in last night by accident. And it was actually well, Josh's now, review, but it had my and name And now people on know it. we have information on the Busey. Yeah. There is some pretty entertaining copy in uh, I assume, Brett, you were responsible for all of this. It's not it's actually what comes with WordPress. I did it. Okay. It's, there's a lot of like movie quotes and just silliness in there that we have to erase. And sometimes we forget to erase it. You'll see it occasionally on the site. So don't be alarmed. It's all happening live, like this podcast. And you can tune into this podcast Wednesday nights at 10 p.m. Most of the time, if we need to change the day, we, we try to let you know. You know, follow us on Twitter at PCPer. And you can get some updates. Uh, sometimes we do it on Thursday nights instead. But regardless, if you're on our mailing list, which we affectionately call the spam list, you can find out only when and if we're going live for any reason, whether it's the podcast or a special live stream event. I have uh, some plans for some of those in the future. So go to the uh, the podcast page, sign up for our <clears throat> mailing list, and that's the only thing we will email you about, just when we're going live. That's it. And sometimes we email if we're not going live. But, you know, wait for that email. Or just refresh the site endlessly. Um, or sometimes have, I let people know what I'm wearing that day. Yeah. I mean, and I think we need more of that on the show. You know, Jim is gone, and there is going to be some changes around here. He's not gone. Yeah. He's, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a voice this week. He's sort of gone. But, you know, while, while Jim is away, uh, is it the cats will play? I'm not really sure what the expression is. When the, when the cat the is away, the mice come out and play. Yes, something like that. And so yeah. we're the mice. Yes. Yeah, we I, are the I, mice. I accept my role as mouse. Um, there's so much to talk about, and I've pretty much lost my mind the last few days. If you follow this industry at all, not only do you obviously know about the major, major product releases we had. Seven seven happened. Of course, seven two happened. That's when Super came out. Of course, Nvidia kind of preempted the 7.7 announcement with pretty radical refresh of their current product offering on the GPU front. And then 7.7 brought not only the long-awaited, much-anticipated Ryzen 3000 launch, but on the same day, brand-new Radeon cards with an all-new architecture. Navi is finally here on the desktop. And a new X570, the new chipset, of course, accompanying the new processor. So... New CPU architecture, new GPU architecture, new, all new, all AMD motherboard chipset, a really big deal, and just not anywhere near enough time 
to talk about all of it on this show, to cover all of it on 7.7. We got GPU and CPU reviews up. No deep dives into architecture yet. That's still in progress. And there will be X570. What's that? Yeah, still cooking. Yeah. I mean, it's fine. Josh, take your time. Uh, Judging by your most recent GPU review, it's going to be epic. Um, I can't even imagine. 4,500 plus words. I stopped counting. It's it's pretty remarkable, but well, I'll let Josh. Talk. I, I read it twice, actually. So it's actually that. Really? Good. Yeah. I, oh, I read way, it yeah. once because I had to <laughs> as I was inputting it. And, and it still had problems with editing. So, you know, well, I, 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 I only found one typo. You, you oh, did this, what's with the images? You centered them? I, I, I centered. I centered all the graphs. OK, see, that's Brett. He's like site police. Yeah. Let's talk. I don't know if I got all the housekeeping out of the way. I apologize if I didn't, if I forgot anything, but let's get into it because we don't have enough time to cover everything as it is. Ryzen 7 was released on 7.7. We talked about that. Brand new architecture. This is Zen 2. Josh will have a lot more to say about architecture than I will, but I am the one who did all the benchmarking and I... I'm never happy with. Do you want to get out some of the some of the architecture out first and just yeah, do some yeah, of the let's, high let's level? Let's talk about what this is because obviously anybody just sort of casually watching the industry, it's new. There's been one major architecture so far, Zen. Zen Plus was what? Just kind of like it was a, it was a refresh. It was cleaning a few things mm-hmm. up and then it was putting it on 12 nanometer. Right. Well, but which this, 12 this nanometer was was for die shrink though, right? No, Zen no, this was moving to seven nanometers. No, they okay. First of all, you've got the cores, and then you've got the IO. Uh, the IO chip uh, apparently is is made on twelve nanometer, and uh, it is connected to the core chips, the chiplets, by freedom, not freedom fabric, infinity fabric. And not only that, but the interconnect is based on the organic pin grid array substrate. It's just the organic uh, substrate with copper wires going in between the two. And that's kind of interesting and amazing because previously we've seen like uh, with Intel and their eighth generation with Vega that they use their EMIB, which is kind of a a mini interposer that goes in between the two chips. Uh, And that allows a a higher amount of, of bandwidth between. But AMD was able to design Zen 2 in such a way that it could happily exist at low latencies in between this IO chip that is separate and itself. And so it almost acts like a monolithic die. If, uh, if you were on Twitter today and you follow me, you would have seen me uh, retweet a thing that, that measures out all of the intra core latencies in between like the original Zen Zen plus and now Zen two. And They've made Zen 2 so much more consistent and faster than the previous ones. They're still not quite at the Intel level, but they don't use as much silicon to do that, and they do it in a cheaper way. Oh, wow. That was really amazingly fast. So, yeah, if you have a chance, you can look through there and see how much of an improvement we have seen with uh, Zen 2 and as well as you know how consistent even... The Ryzen 9 3900X is across all CCXs. And those are two chips and one IO die. 
And so it's really quite fascinating to see how well AMD has done here. Of course, you know, the uh, Intercore CCX, you know, just, just if you're in the same CCX, it is incredibly low latency. And in fact, a little bit lower than what Intel does with their Coffee Lake refresh uh, because they connect things a little bit differently than, than AMD. And so it's, it's really impressive what AMD has done in terms of just latencies uh, within the chip. And so if we look at their overall kind of uh, documentation, what we can kind of say is they did a lot of work on the front end. They addressed the caches. They decreased latency across the board, uh, not only within the CCX, but also inter-CCX. C6, no, CCX. C6 is ARM. But anyway, so they did a tremendous amount of work on the front end. They didn't do much in the integer side. I mean, they didn't add any AGUs. They didn't add any ALUs. But they t- did redo the floating point. So essentially, some uh, some floating point operations doubled in performance. I mean, they have more work done per clock. And uh, what, it's 2 uh, by 256 uh, bit FMAX or, or 256 wide. And it supports now single-op AVX-256, which it's not AVX-512, but who does that and who uses it? And AMD is, is improving their support of, of AVX with a higher performance part. So these are all 7 nanometer parts, the cores. The IO is 12 nanometer, we've, we've found out. And yeah, they, they all use just copper traces in between the uh, the dies to connect each other and they work really really well they don't have to have this higher end interposer you know a silicon interposer that we've seen in vega we've seen in other z-links uh chips with uh their dsps and 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 uh, eight not dsps but it's not asics what is it fpgas um and so it's really fascinating to see how well this part actually works and they've improved i mean the cores i think you know when when you look at the actual execution units they were always pretty strong and so when you enabled smt it seems like those those execution units were always kind of a little bored because you had such good scaling uh when you enabled you know multiple threads per core and so they've they've improved the front end the front end can feed those cores quicker They've cut latency down for like, you know, something that, that was four nanoseconds or well rather four cycles. They, they've cut it down to three cycles. They've done that throughout. They, they cut down uh, L1 cache half of what it was, but they've increased set associativity. Uh, they also increased L3 cache, doubled it, and went from 16 megs to 32 megs, which is, is massive. And I think they, they kind of did that to offset, you know, the the, um, the potential latencies going to the off, you know, the off die I.O. and memory controller. And um, it's, you know, worked wonders for them. There's just a tremendous amount of local memory that's highly set associative. And it feeds the front end very, very quickly. And that can dispatch to... The uh, the floating point and the uh, the integer, you know, portions, really really quickly and effectively, and so we've increased IPC, we've increased clock speed, we've decreased power, um, 
all of these things have made it so that it is really truly competitive with Intel in terms of IPC, and they have improved on Intel in terms of just thread count per marketplace. I mean, you can get the uh, six core twelve thread for one hundred and eighty bucks, one hundred ninety nine dollars for the uh, the the radio the Ryzen five thirty six hundred. Yeah, one ninety nine for that sixty five watt part. And people are raving about that because it performs so well. I mean, it's a it's a boost, you know, single. Well, they say it's a single core boost up to four point two, but because of how boost clocks work, depending on the thermals, depending on the power delivered, I mean, it could be sitting up there, you know, all core four point two, a lot more often than you would expect. Uh, the thirty six hundred X. You get a little bit extra performance at that top end at the lower end as well. But that's, you know, a 95-watt TDP part. So AMD has really done some tremendous things at the low end. And it it scales really nicely all the way up to the high end. Uh, we've only seen the, the uh, Ryzen 9 3900X. The 3950X is going to be showing up later this fall. But when you look at the amount of work that they have done throughout the entire thing, they've, they've really optimized it. They've really lowered latencies throughout pretty much every single aspect. And uh, you just have more instructions per clock than, than they did before, just through a lot of really good design work and detective work and figuring out, you know, what can we optimize? What can we really dig in here? What can we change without, you know, blowing up transistor budgets and still moving all this onto a brand new seven nanometer process that we've never done for a CPU. And you got to give some kudos to TSMC because really they, they have the best overall process in the world running right now. Intel is not there with their 10 nanometers. Maybe eventually they will, but for right now, TSMC is, is they're, they're sitting, uh, they're king of the hill and uh, people are going to them with, you know, their, their wishes for, would you please produce some more wafers, please? And AMD's, they, they they struck early and they made a pretty big gamble that TSMC would, would have a product that they would be able to achieve kind of their dream launch on, and, and they certainly have. So as I ramble anymore, I mean, anything you guys want to add to that? Yeah, I got I got one that's an architectural improvement that I don't see a, a lot of discussion about, but that's the their compatibility with much faster memory, and I think that's primarily due to their decoupling the Infinity Fabric clock from their memory bus clock now. And once they they've decoupled that, they're allowing the um, memory compatibility has gone way up, and the ability to talk to much faster memory. So, I mean, that's something I didn't necessarily hear you address, but definitely important from a I/O perspective. Yeah, because, you know, the, the previously people were kind of maxing and not maxing out, but really the, the most workable memory speed was 3200. And yeah, it was tough. That that drove the Infinity Fabric at that same speed. And now they've yeah. improved the Infinity Fabric so that it actually scales up one to one up to 3700, I think, is, is what AMD was saying. And then when it gets above that. Then it scales down the infinity fabric speed and see it goes to, you know, from a one to one to a one point to one to two ratio. And so your infinity fabric speed, you know, goes down quite a bit when you use faster than 3700 megahertz memory. 
Uh, but that then allows you to scale that up to, you know, 4,600 and somebody's overclocking like 5,200 memory. But uh, yeah, that's that's a really good point. They re-architected that to be a little bit more flexible and to allow a lot better performance from the, you know, official 2666 and 2933 speeds that were, you know, officially supported and the unofficial 3200 and above. But yeah, that's uh, that's a big deal. Yeah, it's it's architecturally interesting when they can decouple their memory, their their instruction fetch and their data fetching and decouple uh, their their essentially their discussion, their, their clocks that talk to between the IO and the and the CPUs, and they can decouple that from their memory bus. That's actually really Yeah, really, it's all FIFO buffers and adds latency yeah, well, and <laughs> But but that would mean that you you could you would hit probably at some point you'd hit the end of a buffer and you'd see stuttering or a pause, you know, in that feeding, yeah. you know, essentially. But, but as far as I know, no one's seen that yet. One other interesting thing that I wanted to, that I don't, we haven't really explored yet is how knocking the uh, one CCX out um, of uh, like, say the, um, the 12 uh, and giving you six cores, you know, essentially how that would perform uh, removing part of the necessity of having to move instruction or a program instruction from one CCX to the other, how that might perform in games. I think that would be interesting. Josh, how much does just having so much cash affect things? Like massive amounts of cash, obviously, with all these uh, processors. It's you, having the data that you really need as close to the core as possible is is going to improve your IPC. Just you're yeah. not waiting for it to go to main memory. You're not waiting it to go to I/O. I mean, you're you're prefetching stuff into main memory, and then your caches are are intelligently well. Somewhat intelligently. I mean, you know, AMD said that their you know prefetch and, and their uh, branch predict is kind of an, a, a very limited AI that will take a look at patterns and then um, prefetch a lot of the stuff that it needs. And when you've doubled the L3 cache, I mean, that is a, a ton of cache in there. I mean, especially if you look at it's what uh, 32, it's 128K of L1. And then each core is 512k of L2, so you've only got like what a victim cache. Your I think your L3 axis is a victim cache, where it stores part of of all the other caches. So you know the the other CPUs can access that. And I'm probably screwing this up tremendously, but that still leaves like 27 and a half megs of of cache in the L3 that that you can just prefetch and prefetch and prefetch and then write to later on it's just it's a huge amount and uh, gosh, i think gosh. in the way that don't you mean don't you mean cache cache it's gamer cache I, yeah, yeah i can't i can't hear i don't know why they call it gamer cache but i mean i guess in games you're probably going to be utilizing it most other than you know as compared to like i'm typing in word it's not going to do a whole lot in l3 because it's only so many things Word can do, but yeah, no, it's you know having a, a tremendous amount of cash uh, will really benefit performance because you don't have to make as many jumps to go get the data you need. And again, if you have intelligent prefetch, uh, a lot of that stuff is just going to be there automatically. So it's right. it's big. Speaking of big, uh, I don't know how much of the benchmarks we've shown on like the b-roll while we're talking but 
if you look at the performance of these new processors, and we've done, I admit, like far less testing than I'd like. I would love to do every important or significant CPU benchmark, single multi-thread, more memory testing needs to be done. I'd like to do a breakdown of all the Geekbench testing so we can look at like the metrics there and actually how the memory latency and all of that stuff has improved with the new architecture. But just as a first high-level look at this, comparing it to recent offerings from Intel, we saw, as far as single-core performance goes, kind of like a mix. Uh, it depended on the benchmark, and I didn't run that many, but Cinebench, it was very impressive. The 3900X was actually king of single-threaded performance there in this group, and we're talking about an i9-9900K, 9700K, 8700K, 9600K, and an i5-8400 to give you an example of like a lower cost, more value uh, six-core CPU from Intel. But uh, tremendous showing, especially in multi-threaded, of course, where at the top, their $500 processor, the 3900X, is giving you 12 cores, 24 threads. And even before we've seen anything from the 3950X, we're seeing a processor that for highly multi-threaded workloads is just going to dominate. And until Intel changes the price structure of HEDT or releases a desktop processor at around the price point of the 3900X with a similar core count. You know, there, there are certainly advantages to Intel still, as we saw with gaming benchmarks. AMD has, has definitely picked it up on IPC. Josh was talking about some of the improvements that have been made. If, if you're running games at a lower resolution on a high-end video card just to try to prove, you know, IPC merits of one CPU over another then you can find an advantage for Intel still. And of course, if you run at higher resolutions, then you're really just, you're more GPU bound. So it's, it's irrelevant. But the nice thing about this launch is if you're after that mix of gaming performance and uh, just raw multi-threaded power, depending on what your, your workload is, these are, the best yet, obviously. It's like when Apple releases a new iPhone, it's, it's our best iPhone ever. Every version of Ryzen has gotten better and better. And this is probably the biggest leap so far. If you look at some of these numbers, from the 2700X to the 3700X is huge. It's way bigger than the jump from the 1800X to the 2700X. And, it, and then the 3900X, of course, is just crushing it when it comes to multi-threaded. Because of the core count. And if I were to, to do like apples to apples, you'd have to bring in an Intel HDT part, but the 12 core 24 thread part is 1199. So it's, it's ridiculous. It's not a, I didn't even bother with any of that stuff, even though I have some higher end Intel stuff here uh, because I just didn't have, I didn't have time, but it's, really this is $500 or less on all the charts. And for the absolute last word in gaming performance, it still looks like Intel is on top, at least with initial testing. Uh, I, I have not gone back on X570 yet with the latest uh, firmware updates. I didn't have the absolute latest BIOS on X570 when I started testing. In fact, I had some issues with both of my X570 boards, significant issues with one, workable issues with the other, but still wasn't booting with overclocked memory. So I ended up falling back to an X570 board with its newest Ryzen 3000 compatible BIOS just to get my CPU testing done. 
So there's there's a lot yet to be seen. I haven't looked at PCI Express 4.0 yet, what kind of impact that might have. And I'm really, really curious to, to see how the performance of, of that IO die that makes up the X570 chipset is. Like how good storage performance in general is, not just PCI 4, because there's only one controller to measure so far, but PCI E3 uh by four SSDs, of course, there's a million of those and they're getting cheaper and cheaper. Are they finally on par with Intel when it comes to everything else? SATA performance, PCI Express, USB 3.1 performance, stuff that I've had my own issues with in the past. I don't know, Josh, if you run an X470 board, right? Or you have a, a Ryzen system at your house, right? Yeah, I've, I've got a test system that's, that's okay. Ryzen based and it's an X470 and it's you know, it's it's highly compatible. It's it's speedy in every way. I've done some uh, NVMe tests, and uh, yeah, it's uh, the 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 results come out pretty much identical to the latest Intel stuff that that supports it. And so, yeah, it's not it's not in the old days where their SATA performance was sucky until they got a good SATA six controller, which Intel then kind of whiffed on for like two years. Oddly enough. Um, it's not like USB performance that for many years, I mean, your AMD platform was 20% slower in, in USB. All of these things are very much up to date and they're competitive and you cannot really find major differences between a lot of the IO stuff that, that we've been seeing. And now it's, it's all seemingly, you know, CPU performance and, and memory performance. Um, Intel still has a really excellent um, memory controller. AMD is getting right up there, and so you know it's the peripheral stuff is that's all old news. It's it's not, and, and, and especially going forward with PCI 4.0, I mean Intel doesn't even have one yet. This is like uh, the old 890 um, FX chipsets where AMD had really solid SATA 6G performance. They had six added six G ports, Intel had none. And then Intel came out with a chipset and had two ports. And they're a little bit faster than AMDs, but you still had six with AMD. So it's you know, they they've continued to evolve and yeah, IO is is just not an issue like it used to be. Didn't they threaten to go PCIe five and just yeah, just four is old news now? Yes, they've 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 announced that that they're going to be accelerating their venture into PCI 5.0. It'll probably be late 2020, 2021 if if they're lucky. But they've got to have anything, PCI 4.0. Anything to make a to make you know some sort of good news. Yeah, I don't mean you, they're going to throw. Don't you guys know that PCI Express 5.0 is already completely irrelevant because they've announced PCI Express 6.0, which exactly. is exactly. No, 5.0. Yeah, they. It's, they announced well, it's it not one finalized. month after after five point. It's not final. Right? They just announced it. Like, why are you announcing this now after one month of PCI yeah. Express five, six? Six is coming. I don't yeah, know. They're, they're, they're muddying the waters to kind of try to steal a little bit of AMD's thunder because yeah, that. AMD is is six plus months having PCIe four before Intel does, and not only that, but they've got. PCIe 4.0 graphics card available today, and at least the Gigabyte uh, PCIe 4.0 NVMe, it's available for sale <clears> today. <throat> and Corsair at the end of this month. And then I imagine other guys like my digital SSD 
uh, we'll be having one in August. Um, who's the the Apple? O W C. Yeah, MaxSales.com. Oh, yeah. O W C. Yeah, they'll 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 probably have one as well because why not? May not work in Apple, but who cares? But yeah, I mean it's just, these Fizon controllers are inexpensive and they are fast. And Samsung doesn't even have anything that they've leaked on the horizon. Fizon. Fizon. Is that the E sixteen, right? Yes. E sixteen. Yeah, this and I mean, without, boy, this is without Corsair's uh, heatsink installed yeah. on it. If this uh, but that's it. awesome that they have a product out already. It's not perfect. It runs hot. You've yeah, got to have cooling on that thing, which is a blessing and a curse because it does pull power. It is a little bit scary through an NVMe because look at how fine those uh, those um, uh, connections are and uh oh they're super want, fine josh yeah and so they're you don't want you know any kind of things jumping current wise with the uh, power leads but uh i think that they're going to be pretty pretty safe and again you know intel doesn't have a pca 4.0 ssd uh, nvme controller samsung hasn't announced theirs yet it's FISA and, and Silicon Image. Theirs is expected to be January 2020. It, yeah, yeah FISA is going to be They have been talking, talking be about making... it. Since we saw roadmap stuff from them. I know I was looking at a non-tech report earlier this year. They've been talking about that since 2017. So I don't know what the, the issue is with, with SM on that, getting it out. But they're working on it. And you know by next year there'll be more. I'd like to see what Intel... This is, this is the fun... like. To me, Intel, which has been at the forefront of cheap SSDs, like cheap, cheap QLC SSDs, we've talked about these, it's been our picks of the week for like a month now, the 660p, one terabyte for like 99 bucks. But would Intel develop a PCIe Gen 4 SSD controller knowing that it would primarily or exclusively be used on AMD platforms when they have no PCIe Gen 4 and they've only announced Gen 5 on the roadmap. You know, it's it's like Intel's going to sit this one out. We're going to have a bunch of Gen 3 stuff from Intel. And then we have Fizon. And then Silicon Motion is working on one. And whoever else we see come out with a controller. But yeah, no, I, landscape I, I, a little I, bit different. I, I think Intel will have one, obviously, out yeah, when they have a PCIe 4.0 chipset and, and CPU. Um. Right. But I don't think that Intel corporate is holding back the SSD controller guys and saying, no, 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 this is bad because, no, they they want to sell controllers. They, they want to sell SSDs. That's a nice little market for them. And, yeah, they're only going to be able to run on AMD processors for a while, but why give up more of your market share to Fizon? If you don't have to, why wait another year to release it when Samsung and Silicon Image are going to be taking more of that market share because you don't have a product? So, yeah, I don't, I don't think that they're going to be holding it back. There's somebody we could ask, but they, they wouldn't tell us. They would not tell Probably. us. No. <sighs> the Maybe if you offered him like 38 terabyte hard drives. And a lot of margaritas. 
and maybe, maybe, maybe some raw cheesecake batter stuff. Yeah, I think that might work. That might oh work yeah, the uh, the ch- the cherry pie filling right out of the jar. Just dangle some <laughs> cherry pie filling jars in front of him. Like, Alan, you know that beans. your little your little cute hard drive set up at home. That's nice, but let's get let's get serious here. I'm trying to censor myself, but should call a picture of that family friendly podcast. Hey, did did you test any graphics cards this week? <laughs> I did. Uh, thank you for that segue, so we can move along. We can talk about Ryzen all night, and one of the things I do want to briefly talk about before we we close and move on to Radeon is availability which has not been great uh we heard about micro center getting stock people lining up at micro centers to buy them people buying them in person successfully on day one micro centers are opening up at 9 a.m i guess for the launch but buy one on amazon good luck and strangely an amazon seller called amd authorized reseller which until recently according to their reviews has been selling kitchen gadgets suddenly is the only seller on amazon at MSRP and the shipped and sold by Amazon stock is completely unavailable. Newegg, it was funny, sent out an email, which of course, you know, Newegg was paid by AMD to have advertising for AMD. There's a whole page spread. They sent out the email blast. You go to, it's like AMD and it has all of their, their copy about it, all the nice PR. You go to the site and it's just out of stock, out of stock, out of stock. All the bundles were out of stock. Everything was out of stock except for the 2600. I think the, uh, Ryzen 5 2600 was available, but that's it. And it's the only one I've seen. 2600 or the 3600? Oh, I'm sorry, 3600. Right. So the Thank Ryzen 5 3600 and I think the 3600X were or are available, but 3700, 38, 3900 not available, not even in a bundle. So... That's yeah, crazy. That's but you know what? However, looking back, yeah. Looking back, I remember when the AMD K6 was released. That I I went directly to a distributor that we had a uh, um, relationship with back at the time, and this is 1996, 97, 96, and they just couldn't get. K6 parts. I mean, this was a this was tech data. This was a major distributor for the United States. And finally, they got some parts, and it was the 166 and the 200s. The 233 was not available for at least four months after its release because all of them were going to OEMs, none of them to retail. And yeah. so it's it's odd to look and see and, and look at this and think, wow, they were available shortly on on you know for a very limited amount of people on day one and on day four, we're complaining about it, but probably by next week, they're, they're going to be more stock tripling, trickling in. It's not going to be four months of wait time, but yeah, things, things moved a lot slower back in 1996, but I don't want to trickle Josh. I want it now. I want full availability. Want now. All now. All of them. But that was that was the same, you know, at that time, that was when Intel would stockpile for six months before releasing. I mean, literally, they'd be producing chips, stockpile them in a warehouse for six months, and then they'd have the launch, and you could have it instantly. But they had such a lead at that time that you could do that, and we, we're no longer at that stage because it is so competitive. 
You can't stockpile product for six months if you can release it now. Yeah, plus they had to meet 7-7, you know. How how often was 7-7 going to happen in 2019, Josh? Think about it. In 2019, probably only maybe a couple just, only a couple of times. We're only going to have a only. July 7th. twice. Yeah. Yeah. Rare, yeah, it's rare to have 7-7 more than once in a year, except for like leap year. Uh, Something like that. Yeah, let's move on. Uh Some other stuff oh, was yeah. released. I have one right here. This is the Radeon RX 5700 XT in unique packaging that uh, I've never seen before. The lights. You of lie. This. I no. I mean, okay. Let's let's look at the other thing. We'll talk about this too. But if you compare uh, packaging, the, it's pro- possibly some similarities. If you've ever <laughs> seen anybody unbox one of the more recent GeForce cards and you have this nice box that lifts up and inside it's foam lined, so the GPU is fully protected. It's not in a bag which does differ from NVIDIA because they still have it wrapped in plastic inside. But you pull it out of the hard foam, and there it is. This is the XT with the reference cooler, which has been getting some grief online. I think in person, though, like I was talking about this the other Did night. Did you drop this, that already? See, and everybody makes that joke. It's either it was dropped or it was melted. But yeah. In person, this has a little bit more of kind of like that automotive-inspired look. It's like almost like a Fender kind of thing going on. I don't know. I, I don't hate it. You know, it, I, it adds flair. Yes. And if, you've, you know, if, if you're a fan of outlets like Gamers Nexus, you know, Steve over there, he was talking today about how to modify to get some better temps. And this super cool sign, this is a blower cooler. And people don't like blower coolers from the comments and some of the anger out there. But, you know, blower coolers, as AMD was explaining to us in the room, talking to press about their decision, if this is just their design, we're going to see third-party coolers. We're going to see all of, like, the the Strix versions. We're going to see Twin, Frozer, whatever out there. And I'm sure Gigabyte will have a WindForce version. We're going to see all the same stuff we always see with GPUs once the third-party cards are in hand. But for a reference design, AMD always does this. It's a, it's a, with the exception of Radeon Seven, you know that was the three tri- the uh, axial fans. But this makes sense for, say, you ship this to Dell and it's going to be an Alienware computers. Those chassis are designed basically for a blower. So especially if you're ordering one with multi GPU, it, it makes sense for uh, system integrators. It doesn't necessarily make sense for enthusiasts, but it's comparing the two actually the design is different between the XT and the the plain 5700 this is your like traditional AMD cooler of the last generation or so it's got like ventilation on the IO backplate it has nothing on the back except for like these screw holes to do like the the mounts that companies like Alienware use no backplate pretty much a, a just a generic OEM car the XT, on the other hand, has a little bit nicer, cooler design, has a vent on the back, if you can see that. So it's it's taking in more air, and it does a really good job of keeping things under control, even though you can, of course, do better. I think Steve at Gamers Nexus was like an 8C better with his modification of removing the thermal pad and uh, modifying the actual uh, installation by just adding some some. You know, very inexpensive washers to make it all go together with thermal paste instead of a thermal pad. 
but both of these are pretty much locked at about 48 dB using the default fan curves. So if you bypass those fan curves and start doing any kind of overclocking or you just want a cooler card to try to sustain higher boost clocks, it is going to get loud. This will definitely go over 50 dB immediately. So, but regardless of that, I mean, that's the design. That That's basically irrelevant once third-party cards come out, whether or not you prefer AMD's vanilla version. The GPU itself, Navi is... So much more impressive than I was expecting because we had been warned basically Navi's going to be introduced with a mid-range product. And I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be like 50, uh, not 50, but like from 480 to 580. And then we had the 590, which is kind of like an overclocked 580. Like, oh, mid-range, like $200, $249 range. And when the pricing was announced initially, it was 449 for the 5700 XT and it was going to be 379 i believe for the 5700 i think it was 399 okay and or was it three it was yeah one of the other i don't remember I think it was 399 initially in. yeah i thought it was a 50 dollar difference and then another 50 dollars to the 50 year you know 499 yes, for the, the anniversary year, one yeah 7500 which has higher clocks i mean you're not just paying for a paint scheme it's a little bit different color it's darker has gold trim on it but it was been to have much higher boost clocks. And of course the, the, the clocks have changed. They're no longer calling it base and boost. They're calling it base game and boost, which, you know, Nvidia pointed out, well, our boost clock is the game clock because it is your like sustained, uh, you know, long-term performance number. And in my experience on Nvidia side, they are, they're always over that. If they give you an 18 an 1860 number, it's probably boosting at like 19 and 1950 most of the time, depending on power limits, depending on the cooler, but that's another story. These cards are, are targeting that game clock number and getting above that is like, you know, workloads like bursty, quick. Sebastian? Uh, what? Sebastian? Yes. Take a deep breath and let your internet connection catch up to you because oh, you're, you're clipping badly. Hmm. Is your wife streaming something? Is your kid watching Door of the Explorer? Do we hear backpack, backpack echoing in the background? That that era has passed for her. Oh, you mean oh. for my son? Okay, I'm not. Oh sure. yeah. <laughs> Let, let's let's pause. Good one though. Let's pause Good the one. podcast for a moment while I change microphones and see if that makes a difference at all. Someone's singing Baby Shark and sweet. I'm impressed that you know that. Baby shark. Don't don't start. No, don't. No, no. It, you can't stop it once that starts. You can't stop. It won't. It won't be stopped. Grandma shark. <laughs> How about we talk about uh, the disappointment in that the clocks are so locked on the 5700? Boo. Bad. Boo. Yeah. It's because they don't want you cheap cheaping your way into an XT, and. uh Let's let's theorize on how much uh, CU room is left at the top for the fifty eight fifty nine hundred series. Let's project how many computers. Yeah, I don't know like, because it's, uh, it's plenty. It's kind of interesting. Uh, well, we have yet to know how well it scales beyond what we see right now. Yeah, and because it's not going to be clocks. GTN did not scale worth a damn after a certain point, no matter what you threw at it. Well, they're so afraid of scaling, they locked the clocks on the fifty seven hundred. 
So what were we talking about? 5700, 5700 XT. We're talking about Ryzen. Baby Shark. We weren't talking about Ryzen anymore, Brett. Don't get us off track. We've already been okay, on we, this podcast let's, for an let's, hour now. Let's get back into overall performance. Scaling. Scaling. Talk a little bit about the 5700. Mm-hmm. What do they Stupid. add? What do they subtract? Stupid clocks. Because we already talked about the physical. You mean like topology, like the actual architecture? We're not going to get in depth on RDNA here. You can check the site for no, 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 no. Our- so I was just going to say, you know, just in between the two actual products we have, yes, core counts, performance. That's it. Well, one of the interesting things about this is if you actually look at the spec table, you'll see that compared to say a Vega sixty four, this has a much lower CU count. This is only forty for the XT and thirty six for the fifty seven hundred non XT. Which gives you, you know, far fewer streaming processors. So we're talking twenty five sixty for the XT and only twenty three oh four for the fifty seven hundred. And when I looked at that coupled with the clocks, which though higher, I mean, we saw higher clocks with Radeon Seven, and still we're only getting, you know, good performance increases over the the Radeon, or, you know, the, the existing Vega sixty four, but not massive, not the kind of uh, sort of class-leading performance that some might have hoped for from their first 7 nanometer GPU, a 699 price point, but that's another matter. Looking at Navi and being warned ahead of time that this was going to be a mid-range part, when the pricing was announced, I was thinking, like, that's that's too high. This isn't really mid-range. The same argument that I've been hearing since January when we published the RTX 2060 review, and that was a $349 card at launch, for the cheapest cards, and I was hearing that's not mid-range. So that's that's somewhere in between mid-range and high-end. And mid-range is considered kind of that two to three hundred dollar area. And if this was going to be four forty-nine, they were talking RTX twenty seventy level performance. My initial thinking was was two twofold. One, it's too expensive because. So what if NVIDIA has raised the bar as far as GPU pricing is concerned in, in 2018 and 2019? AMD has always competed on like value per dollar, like price performance. So why are we matching the expensive, like high, high-end RTX 2080 pricing with Radeon 7? Why are we introducing Navi to the public at 449 just shy of the $500 you can get uh, stock like 2074 when there's no hardware ray tracing, whether you care about that or not, that's something that is how NVIDIA justified the additional cost compared to the Pascal generation with the, the 1080, which was a fantastic card for gaming and it's still a great card, even a couple of years down the road. It's just 499 for that sort of flagship gaming card with the, the 1080 Ti and the Titan, of course, is like the aspirational products. And then this comes out at like 1080Ti pricing for the 2080 Radeon 7. Anyway, we could we talk about pricing, that, but it's, it's worth mentioning because two things happened. Super was announced and released, and we'll talk about that. But then AMD comes out and lowers pricing before launch. So we actually launched. The XT launches at $399 instead of $449. And the non-XT launches at 349. And that matches the 2060, the vanilla 2060, as you know, your, your card option. So 
the the performance is something that I was extremely interested in, but I didn't have a lot of I didn't have high expectations. I'm thinking this is a brand new product. We haven't seen Navi on desktop yet, and the the CU count is just not high enough for this to compete. Maybe there's going to be certain benchmarks where AMD can compete with NVIDIA, and that's how they were, you know, they were using Strange Brigade, which is not, you know, the gold benchmark. It's picking something that's very AMD friendly for this benchmark against 2070 on stage. And I was very pessimistic about this. Then I actually get the cards on the test bench, install the drivers, and start running benchmarks. Performance is extremely impressive. And what's amazing to me is that even the vanilla 5700 in, I think, all but one test is beating uh, Vega 64. And it's a like a factory overclock Vega 64 that I use in the testing. It's an AMD Strix, or I'm sorry, an AMD, it's an Asus ROG Strix overclocked Vega 64. And it's still beating it in almost every test. And then the 5700 XT is just thumping it in every test. So these are... Very, very powerful parts that even with the lower CU count, even with, you know, the what seems on paper like a disadvantage, if you were talking about the same architecture, the, it, it, anybody who doubted this was all new architecture and not just some minor ar- microarchitectural changes with RDNA from GCN. This is very, very different, and the performance reflects that. And we're seeing... 2060 super level performance from the 5700 and we're seeing 27 uh, from like 2070 level performance from the XT as promised and you know even coming close to the 2070 super at times depending on the game we're looking if you're watching the video Far Cry 5 is a game where the 5700 XT came close to the the 2070 super card the new Nvidia card so which is really very close to a 2080. And this is a $400 card. So it's it's wonderful to see that these come out with that level of performance. And this is like pre-release drivers. And if, if we learned anything from Radeon 7, it was that performance on these cards is only going to improve as the drivers mature. And we're not, we didn't really have it on our list to talk about, but their video encode performance uh, leaves something to be desired at this point. So that's something that can improve as well with these new cards on Navi. But overall gaming benchmarks only run at 2560 by 1440 high presets uh, using all of the data i have accrued since the beginning of the year from other gpus so you know definitely worth revisiting soon with newer games on a different test platform at different resolutions but just this initial look at this blows me away josh i don't know how you felt about this if you were expecting from what you heard about rdna to see these kinds of gains but for it to consist, for even the vanilla fifty seven hundred to consistently beat a Vega sixty four was very impressive to me. Yeah, because uh, the, there there are multiple things in play here. Obviously, you know we 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 saw what uh, Vega seven came out with, and that was kind of lackluster because you know it was still a Vega architecture. They were able to do you know all four HBM dies on there to give sixteen gigs of memory, and it was a fast card. But it just didn't scale like you would expect it to. I mean, it was not that impressive. And so when when WordPress came out, the Navi were coming out in a pretty small chip. Like, you know, I think it came out as, what, 256 millimeters squared? Somewhere around that. 
um, a lot of people were thinking, and myself included, is like, well, it's going to be slightly faster than an RX 580 or a 590, but probably not going to be. I mean, they're they're going to hit in between the hundred and three hundred dollar range, and that's going to be the extent of it. I mean, they're going to have a small chip. It's not going to be that performance oriented. Not a big yeah. deal. And then they come out with what we see now, and they uses. GDDR6 memory, and it uses it in a configuration that is relatively inexpensive. I'm, I'm assuming AMD is still making some good margins on them. And they're almost half the size of the TU-106, which powers the RTX 2070, the RTX 2060, the RTX 2060 Super. Um, does it do the 2070 Super, or is that the 104. That's the 2080. Yeah. 20, yeah. 2080 is a different configuration of 104. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, uh, yeah, it, uh, Navi performed well. I mean, it's, it runs well. It's good performance. But the one thing that they still haven't got down is getting power down to NVIDIA levels. And NVIDIA is using a specialized 12 nanometer process from TSMC, which is more akin to TSMC's 16 nanometer, but, you know, slightly optimized. But NVIDIA is still achieving better power with a larger die than what AMD is able to do with Navi with a much smaller die on a, a smaller process. And so it's, you know, they, they've made massive improvements from the RX 580, from the Vega uh, 56 and 64, and the, the Vega 7. All of those things, I mean, it's so much better, but it's still not anywhere close to what NVIDIA is, is able to do with, with their products. And so it's really interesting to see. I mean, they, they're, they're taking it one step at a time, sweet Jesus. And they're improving performance. They've improved power. They've they've got die size down to incredibly small as compared to the competition, and they perform very very well. But I've heard that a um, you know seven nanometer wafer is about seventy percent more expensive than the competing twelve sixteen nanometer wafers uh, from TSMC. And so when you start taking a look at things. You know, AMD, you know, they've still got margin, but they're not, you know, kind of world beating because, you know, just the cost of, of the wafers themselves, the, the the manufacturing is so much more expensive than the older products. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, that they're getting some good experience. I, I like that they're utilizing GDDR6 instead of HBM because HBM is really expensive and it gets things more complex than... PCB traces out to out to memory that gives you you know ninety percent of the performance for half the cost. So, um, you know, I was, I was impressed where AMD came from, but they still have work to go. And uh, but you know, when you only have a, a die that is as small as that, you you've got a lot of places to go from there, and you've got a lot of experience with the seven nanometer process and. Next year, they're going to have a 7 nanometer plus from TSMC that will be uh, applied to Zen 3. And 
and probably the next generation of graphics from AMD. But this is a big jump for them. They've done a lot of really good things, not to take anything away, because this is a huge jump from the RX series of uh, your, you know, both Polaris and Vega. So kudos to AMD. I mean, they're they're fighting, they're competing. Uh, they they still don't have the budget Nvidia does with GPUs, but they're they're achieving eighty to ninety percent of that performance with a lot of grit, a lot of spit, a lot of tenacity, and being able to order enough seven nanometer wafers. This clearly isn't the 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 last of the um, this design, this five thousand series. Uh, as I was saying before, there's plenty of room, and especially in the compute units and the size of the die, for them to to get bigger on this. So, you, you, yeah. the, the advantage uh, is clearly um, you know, the balls in their court on this, and I think they're going to be able to to reasonably. You can see some of the numbers they're going to be able to scale again in in compute units, die size. And they're going to be able to, I'm projecting to say they're going to be able to compete reasonably well with some some of the higher-end cards. I think they've got plenty of room just to reinforce what you were saying. I'm looking forward to just eliminate Polaris entirely. And some configuration of of this on a smaller scale, fewer CUs, and just fill out the product stack with all new architecture. Because as, as good as the performance was with 36 and 40 CUs, beating out of Vega 64, I mean, it makes it makes Vega 56 kind of... It makes it irrelevant at its price point if they could come out with a two hundred seventy nine to three hundred dollar card with performance just below a fifty seven hundred, and you know I, it's I was going to make a joke about the the memory like because obviously they they moved to GDDR six <clears throat> with this two hundred fifty six bit GDDR six, and GDDR six is not slow like if you looked at actual throughput of the very first like when we went to the Fury X. It, it, we're in that territory now. You, 448 gigabytes a second of memory bandwidth is a lot at 14 gigabit per second, which is the same speed that NVIDIA uses, except for the 2080 uh, Super, which is coming, which is going to be 15.5. But the the memory interface with the, the Vega 56 and 64 is uh, 2048-bit. And memory data rate was so much slower. If you're looking at it, like under 2 uh gigabit per second, but at a much, much, much higher data or uh, memory, much wider um, interface. So it's kind of like the thing that I'm sorry to interrupt, but let's that's fine. Let's hit this while we still can. Yes. If you go back to that, uh, that, that graphic that Jim had pulled up, look at the transistor count, Vega 12.5 billion transistors, Navi 10, 10.3 billion. Yeah. They've made it so much more efficient. They've done really, really good architectural things with Navi that they obviously, you know, weren't able to do with with Vega. And I mean, that, that all goes down to the the core. I mean, essentially, they've they've kind of doubled the size of of the core, improved how the data is handled, improved caches, improved latencies how they do warps, all of that stuff. I mean, it went under the microscope and they really hammered out what it truly is a, a next generation architecture. And they've done very, very well. So, I mean, it it performs great considering yeah. it's one and a half, you know, two almost two billion, no more than two billion transistors less yeah. than the Vega. 
But do those two billion transistors count? No, it doesn't count the uh, HBM. So oh. crazy hey, stuff, let's, man. Let's let's move along in the interest of time. We could talk about this all night, and I'd like to, but all you know, it's let's try to keep this podcast at two hours. And in in that vein, let's shift over to the nights. Why don't we just do a run back to back? You know, just do start doing two nights in a row. That's not helping. Don't, don't talk kidding. like that. Okay, uh, the RTX Supa is upon us. The the super cards which were sprung on an unsuspecting public on July second. They're of course they've been teasing this since I don't know early May at some or late May at some point. They put out this mysterious YouTube video with the super logo and there was Chrome. Like what is this? And I thought at myself that when they shortly after this announced some new workstation like the studio stuff, the RTX and workstation laptops. That was it. Silly me, of course. They refreshed pretty much their entire GPU lineup, at least on the high end. So, yes, we have, like, the the fallback from RTX with the non-RT equipped GTX 1660 Ti, 1660, 1650 cards. That's for, like, your low-end, low-mid-range. But for upper mid-range and high-end, it was just RTX 2060, which came out at CES in the 2070-2080 we saw at the end of last year, and of course the 2080 Ti, which sits at this lofty $1,000 to $1,200 Titan-esque perch at the top of the product stack. And what they have done with Super is they've kind of reset it. It's it's not exactly like they just rebranded an RTX 2080 as a 2070 Super because it's a different configuration. Excuse me, it's a different configuration. They they, they can show you that the CUDA core counts are different. That that it, it's not the same GPU. It's based on the same GPU, but it's a different configuration. So you know, regardless, the the TLDR is the 2070 Super is a little slower than a 2080. At the same price, it's going to be a four ninety nine uh, for. Well, I'm sorry, it's going to be the twenty seventy super uh, replaces the twenty seventy at four ninety nine, but it's it's close to the performance of a twenty eighty, which is six ninety nine, and then the twenty sixty super comes in at three ninety nine, so fifty dollars more than the original twenty sixty. However, it is virtually identical performance to a twenty seventy, which is four ninety nine. If this makes any sense at all, the way I'm trying to explain this. What I'm trying to say is more, better, faster, cheaper, and this is going to be the entire new middle of the lineup. The 2060 remains, which is kind of curious, but it remains at 349. I would I would have thought that would drop to 299 or 329 at the most. Then you have the 2060 Super come in at 2070 level performance at 399, so it's a $100 price drop essentially. And then you have the 2070 Super, which was also released on the 2nd, which takes you really close to a 2080, but not as close as the 2060 Super does. So, and the 2080 Super is coming. That's coming, I think, at the end of this month. And that's, I don't know what that's going to be. That's, it's not even close to a 2080 Ti on paper, but it has really fast memory. I don't know if it was memory that was holding that TU-104 back, how close we might possibly get to a 2080 Ti for 699. And the 2080 and 2070 have been all but discontinued. They're not officially EOLing them, but they kind of are because they're replacing them in the product stack. So, what are what are your thoughts, guys, on Super from the performance you've seen and from the pricing? 
standpoint. It's the era of six gigabytes of VRAM over. Well, yeah, that's that's a good point. I didn't mention that. The 2060 Super moves to 256-bit from 192, which, of course, it's now eight gigabytes of memory instead of six. So you can forget that argument about, well, is six enough and 1440p and games taking advantage of more memory, higher higher you know, quality textures and stuff. Finally, eight gigabytes, which, you know, we could argue it should have been all along, but they're, they're doing it now. Yeah, I think that um, this is a great move by NVIDIA uh, because it needed to happen. The prices of the RTX cards have been sadly very stable for the past year since they introduced them. And, uh, you know, a lot of gamers have not really bought into the RTX tax. And so this is now kind of a, a gut shot to the middle of the market, maybe the middle high end of the market, to give us better performing parts that we can actually justify paying the price that we do, especially now that we have competition in the form of the 5700 series at those kind of same kind of prices that we have options. And this is good because this is kind of the performance they were expecting from a next generation part last fall, but we didn't get, I mean, sure. You know, a 2060 that is overclocked is going to outperform a GTX 2070, as I showed my review. But it just didn't feel like a next-generation part. And yeah, the RTX stuff was nice. And the improvements in efficiency in the architecture was fantastic. But they just couldn't sell it to us. And this is a much more impressive, maybe not impressive, but... This is what we kind of expected in the first place. This jump in performance without hammering you on price. I mean, because a RTX 2080 at 699 that stayed there forever, I mean, people were pretty pissed about. And the 2070 had, you know, enough CUs cut or whatever you want, RT, you know, RTX course cut that they're not happy at 499 and then the GTX, you know, the RTX 2060 had 6 gigs of memory. I mean, these were all big negatives. And when the used market looking at it. In. What's the, that? The used market, the used market stepped in with a reasonably priced 1080 Ti's for instance. Exactly. Exactly. And so a lot of people, I mean, they were not buying the RTX cards. It just was not attractive at all for most users. And, you know, sure, some people did. And, uh, you know, now came the Super. And they finally gave you better performance for a better price. And not only that, but we get Quake 2 RTX for free if you had Quake 2, which is awesome. It doesn't make it into a 2019 game, but it sure looks a whole lot better than 1998 Quake 2, 1997, whenever the hell that was released. Yeah, but yeah, it's um, the, yep. this 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 market section needed a change to get people excited, and this is finally something that will. Are you excited, Josh? Can you see the look on my face? Well, I mean, I see the gleam in your eye, but I'm not sure if that's for video cards so or something else. Excited. You know, if I if I if I pulled down twenty five thousand dollars a month, I'd be really excited. 
sadly that is that is not my my middle class dream though i guess that would be but think of the class. think of the taxes that you're not paying because you don't make that much and then make and you're oh, happy thank, thank yeah, the see? lord that i am not sponsoring infrastructure as much as i am the more you make the more you pay and that's exactly. just the way it is so make as little yeah. as possible and pay as few taxes as possible um i don't want to cut this short but i'm going to and we saw uh, basically at the beginning we said what the performance was. It's basically twenty sixty equals twenty sixty super equals twenty seventy approximately, and twenty seventy super is a little behind twenty eighty. And we will see what the twenty eighty super holds in store. But Josh, you recently got your hands on RTX for the first time. Played around with it. I the twenty sixty RTX card. The Asus Strix. The Strix RTX 2060. 6G. You know, this oh. is overclocked. And not only is it overclocked, but it's heavily overclocked. It's like uh, a boost clock of uh, 1860. And that's being conservative. Because at stock everything, that thing was going up to 2 gigahertz, 210. And then, you know, once things started heating up, it would drop down to like 1940. I mean, it was overclocking. Not only that, but I didn't expect RTX cards to outperform, you know, when, when clocked at this point, to outperform a GTX 1070. And not only that, a GTX 1070 Gaming Z from MSI, which went to 2 gigahertz pretty regularly. I mean, it... Yeah. it kind of clean the floor with this card the gaming z which was a fast 1070 and so i, I didn't expect difference? Is, is that what you're saying you're just using it and you're playing along and you could say wow this is better yes i mean it was huh the minimums in most of the applications that i ran were a lot higher than huh. this and so you had smoother gameplay and you had at least 10 to 15 percent performance increase at at average frame rates than this in in most applications and i was frankly surprised by how much faster that rtx 2060 was than the gtx 1070 and throughout the you know benchmarks that i used it was consistently faster in average and minimum even though, in theory, with as many... I mean, they both share, what, 1920 shade shader cores at, at similar clock speeds? Yeah, the RTX yeah. Was, was faster. Mm-hmm. Turing, Turing definitely situation. had some, some improvements to the architecture, for yeah. sure. And yeah, even, even yeah. And, and clock so, clock, it's still faster, yeah. Yeah, I don't think that a lot of the previous reviews and, and just especially my interpretations and impressions that RTX was this much faster, but it really is. And Asus makes a great card. That thing is, you know, seriously like five pounds of metal and PCB and silicon. And it never got above, I think, 68 degrees Celsius with as hard as I was pushing it in terms of uh, voltage and 
and Offset and uh, Anthem. That Anthem is uh, I, I screwed up on yeah. that particularly graph. Quickly uh, scroll past. Pay pay not a, no attention <laughs> to that whatsoever. Uh, you know the only interestingly enough the only game that I played that Vega fifty six was actually faster in average of the RTX was was Battlefield five, and so that's that was kind of weird to me. Otherwise, uh, RTX twenty sixty just mopped the floor with everything. This this ASUS Strix overclocked six gig card, and uh, and nothing that I used in terms of testing went over much more than five gigs of space, and so that six gigabytes of of, of memory was not really holding this back in the stuff that I was tested with. And finally, if 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 you have never you know, if you, it's been years since you've played Quake 2, and if you own a copy, you owe it to yourself to try out this RTX version and give it a go. And and if you get an RTX card, you get the first three levels free from NVIDIA. And, uh, you know, you can buy, you know, for like five bucks on sale Quake 2 and get the free upgrade to the full RTX. It's a lot of fun. It's It's, it's like shareware again. The first three it, levels are free, but you've got to pay four ninety nine to unlock the full game. Exactly, right. but you know the lighting effects and reflections and materials and and some of that stuff is is so fantastic in Quake Two RTX. It's hard to describe, especially you know you play the regular one, go through there, get bored and whatever, and then you play this one and it's so much more dynamic. I mean, lighting makes a huge difference, and so the bottom line on this ASUS Strix is it's too expensive even under rebate which i think is about 389 to 379 okay no i think it's it's more like yeah 399 to 389 after all the specials with the supers that it's it's not particularly worth it but if we ever see it go down to 379 then we've got a pretty good solution because it's it's overbuilt it's faster than stock much faster in stock. It's probably about as fast as an RTX 2070 in, in many ways. Huge cooler, never gets hot. You got all the RGBs that you could ever want. Oh, it has RGBs? All right, sold, sold. Yeah, yeah, I know. More. So, you More. know, you, you got to really pay attention to the sales on this one. It could be a great pickup. It could be a good buy. But it's 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 hard to be able to say that, hey, this is better than a 2060 Super oh. reference because uh, no, that yeah, 2060 exactly. Super is really a high-performing card. And I will add that you were talking about pricing. Like, How do you think these board partners feel when Super, you know, they're probably briefed on Super and it's like, oh, okay, uh, this is great because all the cards we have out there in the retail and retail channels are now going to be irrelevant and there's going to be huge price drops. I don't know if they're being compensated at all for any of these price drops, but it, it, we haven't really seen yeah. the big cuts yet. Not yet. And Which, again, they're going to have to happen. Either these get discontinued and fall and just disappear. Or like you said, three seventy nine. that's kind of like the baseline. I, I would like to see this at like, you know, the, the 2060. It's just weird because that, that card is staying in their product stack. So right, if a right. stock, 2060 is 349 then an overbuilt overclock card like this probably is going to be closer to 400 but with super outperforming it it makes no sense yeah exactly. put these board partners in a really tough spot 
with pricing you know, we, these things. We don't know the contracts in between these guys, and we don't know a lot of the nuance and details of what they and do. Hard, I don't think I don't think more. Nvidia is out <laughs> and screwing their partners. I mean, there's going to be some there's going to be you know some breaks that Nvidia gives and says you know we're we're getting past this area and this was something that we'd planned on and you know when we had heard about Navi. Uh, probably back in January, February, they made plans and they worked with their partners and they worked on, you know, taking a look at uh, demand and what they're able to supply. And they're they're going to make decisions to do that because the last thing NVIDIA really wants to do is alienate their partners because those are yeah. the people who actually sell the boards. All right, moving quickly along, let's cover some news topics really fast. We had talked about RTX 2080 Super, which is coming. And it's coming July 29. I don't remember exactly. Uh, but the specs were released. NVIDIA released the specs on uh, the release of Super. So we know now that it's going to be a 48SM uh, GPU. That it's going to have 3,072 CUDA cores, uh, 192 TUs, 64 ops. The base clock is 1650. This is for the Founders Edition. Boost clock, 1815. The memory clock is the highest they've ever had. It's 15.5 gigabits per second, so it's 1751 megahertz out of the box. 8 gigabytes of GDDR6, so same as a 2080. Still 256-bit. Memory bandwidth goes up because the memory data rate is higher, so we're at 496.1 gigabytes per second. And this is a 13.6 billion transistor count you know, this is TU-104, 250-watt TDP, that's board power, uh, just a supercharged 2080 that we will have to wait and see how close possibly to the performance of a, a 2080 Ti it might get. Their chart shows it as faster than Titan XP. And they had, they had talked about 2070 Super as being faster than a 1080 Ti. And the, by the way, I'll add just quickly that 1080 Ti is the most glaring admission from recent PC Perspective GPU reviews, and that will be corrected. 1080 Ti will be tested on all the latest games as we go forward so we can get a picture of where 2060 and 2060 Super are in relation to that card, where 2080 Super is. Because 1080, I mean, if you bought a 1080 Ti a year or two ago, that thing was going to last you for like three years as just a top performing card. It's a fantastic card even today. And it's the one card where on any of NVIDIA's charts, when they finally opened up uh, RTX to all the Pascal GPUs, where you could viably do real-time ray tracing on a Pascal card if you had a 1080 Ti, at least if you're running lower resolutions like 1080p. But this is interesting because for six ninety nine, because that's the announced price, 2080 Super is giving you significantly better performance than a 2080 which just disappears. So the 2080 will be gone. 2080 Super will take its place at the same price. Better performance. So whether or not you had, you know, reservations about the pricing of 2080 when it came out, obviously, as Josh alluded to, that's been a huge sticking point. It's like that took over the conversation, not how much faster touring is and how great the RTX cards are from a performance standpoint, but all oh, these are too expensive. And if you compare them directly to Pascal, it was so much more expensive because 699 in the Pascal era bought you a 1080 Ti. 
So it's great to see at least theoretically a much higher performance. We don't have cards in hand. We're waiting on those. I'm sure by the end of the month I'll have one, but uh, I, are either of you excited about the, the prospect of 2080 super? Do you still think 699 is too expensive for a graphics card for a desktop user? Uh, it gets you within real striking distance of the 1080 or the, I'm sorry, the 2080 since you just said it, the 2080 TI um, I see leaked specs are putting it within, within 10%, 5% perhaps of, of 2080 TI performance theoretically. Um, so, I mean, I, I, you're, when you said 1080 TI, that's my alma mater, so I'm still rocking it and I, I will for another couple of years. So, you know, it's interesting because if I don't have to pay $1,200 to get to the next step, yeah, I, I'm, I'm better with that. Cause I mean, once you get on the, uh, the, you know, the, the 1080 TI ish, you know, freight train of the, you know, the, your graphics card stepping, you kind of want to, well, where, where's my next card? You know, is it the 2080 TI? Uh, no. Actually, that's that's not my price point, but this one might be. So that's I'm, I'm reasonably not excited, but uh, I'm glad it's going to be there when I'm ready. Josh, are you excited? It's it's nice that they're moving down performance with a more palatable price point, though. Six ninety nine is still pretty unpalatable to me. I think that you know, just me as a consumer, I will spend in between three hundred and five and and. 300 is far more likely to me than 500. And I think a lot of people are in that same boat. I mean, they work for a living. They don't have, you know, they don't want to incur that kind of a penalty in performance. Well, not performance, but, but just financially. I mean, it's, it's hard to explain. It's like, Hey, we can buy an entire console for two ninety nine, or I can get this one video card that goes in my, a thousand dollar machine and I'll get some playable RTX stuff out of it. But, um, you know, if you're running a 3440 by 1440 monitor, you know, RTX is just not an option for you. So it's good that, um, Nvidia is, is bringing these price point down to where average people can get a good performing part and actually have something that can play the games that they want to. But, you know, we can go into a multi-hour discussion of RTX yeah. and the RTX tax and, sure. and you know, what's usable and what's not. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, let's it, not do that. Yeah. Because die size is huge. Each of these dies is big as compared to everything that AMD has. And that's, that's something that NVIDIA has to, you know, consider when they're pricing yeah. these products out because they are all... Big dies. They're 450 millimeters squared and higher, getting close to reticle limits at the 2080 Ti type thing. So it's a good discussion. Not right now. Right. Well, actually, right now is a great time to hear for our sponsor for this podcast episode. This week's sponsor is Capterra. Now, if you have a business, you need software. There's almost no business out there these days that doesn't either require or at least benefit from having good software. Now, maybe it's it's basic software. It's just stuff like word processing, emails, customer database management, stuff like that. More, maybe it's more specific, stuff for managing medical records, stuff for uh, managing employees in the field. Regardless, how do you find the software you need? Maybe you know what you need. like You know that there's a particular type of software and you just need to make a choice 
between brands or, or developers, maybe you don't even know what's out there for your business. How do you go about finding it? And then once you find something, how do you know it's good? How do you know that it, it meets your needs or that it's, it's quality? Well, that's where Captera comes in. Captera is the leading free online resource to help you find the best software solution for your business. It features over 950,000 reviews of real software products from real users and enables you to discover everything you need to make an informed decision on acquiring that software for your business. Search through more than 700 specific categories of software, everything from project management, email marketing, to yoga management software, and then read those real reviews. Get that real, valuable feedback, reviews you can trust from people who are actually using the software. No matter what kind of software you, your business needs, Captera makes it easy to discover the right solution fast. Now, here's how you use it. It's 100% free. Just go to captera.com slash pcper. That's C-A-P-T-E-R-R-A dot com slash pcper. And you can start browsing right away. There's no sign up. There's no credit card. There's no payment. It's 100% free for you to use. Start browsing through the categories. Search for a specific uh, type of software. Either way, you're going to find tons of options with easy to read entries for each software product. It tells you, you know, is it what the licensing type is like, what the price is like, uh, what version they're, they're up to, you know, so you can tell, is this a, an application or a solution that's, that's well-maintained. And then you can read those real reviews, get that valuable feedback. So if you have any type of business and you're looking for software, if it's a new business or an existing business, you can find the software you need. You can find new software solutions that'll help improve your business and keep your employees and your customers happy. Join the millions of people who use Captera each month to find the right tools for their business. That's captera.com slash pcper, C-A-P-T-E-R-R-A dot com slash pcper. And again, it's 100% free. There's no sign up. There's no barrier at all. Head over to captera.com slash pcper, start searching, find the software that's going to make your business run better. Captera, software selection simplified. And we thank Captera for their support of the PC Perspective podcast. Okay, moving back into the news. PBO, Precision Boost Overdrive. AMD's Robert Halleck hosts a video with some, you know, delightful hand-drawn, possibly not-to-scale diagrams as he explains how the new Boost works, really, with with Zen 2, which is different, Josh, as you may know. If you compare the way that Boost works with, you know, previous... Zen parts and with Intel parts, it's it, it's depending on how many cores are active and the load, how it tries to boost until it's more cut and dry, even though they don't publish those numbers. Go look them up on like Wikichip or something. And it's like for the 9900K, it's five gigahertz for two cores. And it drops down to, I think, 4.7 gigahertz or 4.6 gigahertz on all cores, unless you're overclocking, unless you have like a multi-core enhancement enabled on your motherboard. But uh, Halleck was talking about the fact that this really does try to push as much frequency as it can to as many cores as it can based on some some different conditions, like the current limit from your VRMs and SOC power and stuff. So it's, it's interesting. You know, it's certainly a lot more granular than we've used to in, in, in a while. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. He talked about how, you know, all of these, you know, boards have a base amount of, of, you know, watts and, and amps that, that are applied to each channel. 
And in theory, you know, these 105 watt parts can eat something like 140 amps in total or, you know, I'm probably messing this up as well. But if you have a, you know, a higher spec VRM that can deliver more power and if you've got good cooling, then, you know, if you, if you had a, won the silicon lottery, these, these speeds can go up pretty high, not only in just single core, but in, in multi-core. And it really is dependent. So it's going to be interesting and hard to measure and say, well, this is generally what you're going to get. Because if somebody, you know, does a top-end motherboard that's a 14 plus 4 phase monstrosity, then in theory they may see 100 to 200 megahertz of uh, higher boosts in single core and in, you know, multi-core and and all-core than someone who has a B450 board with, you know, like eight VRMs, you know, a six plus two or something like that. Um, and so it's, it's, uh, you know, the, the better base product you have in terms of motherboard and cooling, potentially the better performance you're going to have with these chips. And they're all kind of guaranteed to a certain amount of performance from AMD. If you meet these specifications. And so it's, it's, um, you know, it's it's not just throwing out numbers like you know all of our stuff will hit four point seven. I mean, it's it's going to be a bit more variable. It sounds like than that. Yeah. But again, if 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 you invest more in, in cooling and a better motherboard, you're going to have better results in how that CPU at stock speeds is going to perform. Tim wrote this article up for us, and he he mentioned that Mr. Halleck was teasing us that on X570 PBO, user configurable, you can, in one example, get a 200 megahertz boost, allowing a processor out of the box rated to boost at 4.55 gigahertz Precision Boost 2 XFR2, able to boost to 4.75 gigahertz with Precision, precision Boost Overdrive activated, and you know various contingencies that are involved in actually making that happen, but like you said, throw some great cooling on there, have a board with beefy VRM, and it could be very interesting. It's not going to be what Intel's, you know, i9-9900KS, the Kentucky Shroud uh, mm-hmm. processor when it comes out, which is guaranteed 5 gigahertz on all cores, and we don't know pricing on that bad boy, what that will be. But, you know, to to get that high on, on parts like the 39... 3900X with 12 cores, 24 threads. It's pretty impressive. I don't remember if it was on Twitter or if it was in the Discord. I think somebody the other night was talking about what are, what are the possibilities of maybe one of the chiplets, because there's two, obviously, CPU chiplets on the 3900X and then the 3950X coming out. Maybe one of those might be able to hit higher clocks than the other, so you might we might need to be taking a look at individual uh, cores, and some of them might be boosting higher than others, but it's going to be interesting to to look at to use the Ryzen Master software and see how high you can get some of these processors to clock. But it obviously really really high clocks out of these is is great. It's just adding more to the argument for AMD here, where currently Intel has the clock speed advantage. But you know, clock for clock, they're very close in IPC depending on the application. But let's move on to well. We could talk about X570 at, at length. I mean, the, the new story here is that 
Azrock was the first to officially launch boards. These boards are all out at this point. Uh, you know, all the, the big four, Asus, uh, MSI, Gigabyte, Azrock, they all have boards out there, and, and along with some others. And just the, the we talked about this at around Computex time. Just just the massive selection of X570 out of the gate, and there had been all these rumors about X570, and I I had to hold my tongue because we had people in our public Discord talking about how they'd heard the rumors about how these boards might be like seven eight hundred dollars coming out, and sure there are those six ninety nine like Halo boards that every one of these companies has. But there are $160 boards, too. There are $200 boards. They're, they're really not any more expensive than X470 was. And a little bit. Eh, I mean, I think when it first launched, I was looking at, like, 169 is, like, the entry-level X470. Yeah. When I was looking at, like, a an ASRock board or an MSI board. But yeah, I it, guess you got a good point there. It. Stuff has come down, and of course there there are the the lower end chipsets in the four hundred family, like B four fifty and stuff. So I mean, we're going to see more five hundred series stuff, I would assume. Maybe it but, just seems more expensive because the high end is truly high. Oh, it's it's. But they isn't that does that speak to how high the performance is? What the expectations were for this Ryzen three thousand launch that. Whereas before it was, well, we have to release kind of on the budget side because this is AMD and they're not really competing with Intel. And you have those, you have absolutely had Intel boards at five, six, seven hundred dollars before. But to come out with motherboards at launch, like the godlike board at 699, I know that uh, Asus has a 699 board. I think they all do. But yeah. doesn't that speak to the confidence in the platform? Like somebody's going to want to buy. A 3950X for $749 when it launches and go out and buy just a massively overbuilt six or $700 motherboard to put it in. And it's that really high, like Intel HEDT level of like enthusiast part now. But dude, I, I don't have an answer for that because it just seems a little ludicrous for me. I, I can see with a launch like this having a 399 motherboard. That has everything but the kitchen sink. And they, sure. you know, like MSI, they have stinking OLED on the board that does messages to you. Oh, trust me, I know. I mean, that's, I've been reading that's MSI be, messages that's, for that's two that's nights. Be, it's going to be some, you know, it's going to be some extra cash to not only have an OLED on there, but to have controllers that will give you messages and firmware, uh, software. That will do that. It's just, it just seems like it's a little over the top. I don't know, but you know, maybe we will see some actual performance differences, better overclocking ability with these six ninety nine parts. I don't know yet. We don't have enough information. We don't have enough reviews. But it's an yeah. interesting. Uh, it's it's it is an interesting move by AMD, who typically has you know had really the max about 250 to 300 dollars for their motherboards unless you're talking you know workstation type stuff with epic but what's what's their cost reduction move though i mean is it is it pc remove pcie 4 and then you're practically you know you're 470 i don't know i think it's you know vrms um extras yeah, yeah that's a good point uh, that's just, a good point you know ac uh wireless on a lot of stuff because 
you know, the 570 chipset on your 169 part is the same 570 chipset on the 699. There's, there's, there's no difference. It's, it's all the crap that they throw on the board, whether it's, you know, we've, we've got, uh, you know, uh, 20 Nichicon gold rated capacitors for your audio. Well, let's talk. Uh, We've got water cooling. Uh, on on the VRMs, we've got a fourteen plus four VRM. We've got you know, I mean, it's just you, you could you just nickel and dime people to death with with the stuff that you've got on there uh, versus just a basic stock with two uh, NVMe ports and uh, twelve plus two and a reasonable audio solution and a, a giggy Intel controller on there. Yeah, I don't know. Remove that it's, full cover heat sink, the one that goes over the NVMe ports. Yeah. 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 So moving to something a little bit smaller and less performant, but nonetheless interesting, especially to people who you know, are fans of this. I don't know if you guys are into Raspberry Pi at all, which, you know, Raspberry Pi 4 is out. There were talks originally of some software issues. Now, the most recent reports are actually that there's problems with the USB-C implementation on it, which is sad. I don't know if that can be fixed. It's, it's power. It's, it's power, though. And, and weirdly enough, okay. it actually, uh, where they discovered it was they were plugging the MacBook Pro uh, USB-C cord into it, and they discovered that that didn't work. And uh, there was some commentary on that. It's, a, it's an unfortunate um, common mistake with USB-C regarding which pins they're pulling up or pulling down or communicating on. And, uh, yeah, they made an unfortunate implementation error. It's, it's, their, it's their fault. It's, it's the Pi people, Raspberry, Raspberry Pi folks. They did USB-C a little bit wrong. Uh, so there'll be a revision, two of this, I imagine. I, I think they're calling it a B-Rev when, when I think okay. the Pi's come out with A's and B's, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that'll be the one I wait for then. That's my excuse now. I didn't yep. pre-order it or find it in stock when it w- when it came out, and uh, I feel left out. But now it's like, no, I was smart. I waited, and they're going to get yeah. the bugs out, and then I'll buy it. I have a, I have a couple of threes here that I play around. I have pie hole on one of them, so yeah, I've, I've played around with them. They're pretty cool. So yeah, that's that's another another purchase to make. I have a three B that I still haven't ever used. Got it as a Christmas gift, and it's just sitting there. It's been a little bit busy. But hey, speaking of uh, things that you can put uh, retro games on, because that's what I wanted to do with mine was, of course, put on, uh, you know, legal uh, ROMs that I own. Absolutely. But and I, I, hey, I am a hoarder. I admit it freely on this podcast right now, and I have way more retro junk than I need already, and I have little like plastic, you know, drawer things full of cartridges and plastic totes full of cartridges. I don't need any more of that stuff. One of the cool things that emerged recently in the retro gaming scene is this thing called BitBoy, which is what they're calling like a a better low cost version of a Game Boy Advance. And, you know, that's, if you read some of the reviews, you'll see that that's, that's not necessarily uh, accurate because of some performance issues, especially with SNES ROM, but uh, rather low specs. One of the cool things about this though is to me is the screen like the hardware i I was looking at a review of this and they they were so impressed with the hardware quality like the actual build quality this thing is very good the screen it has like a glass screen that's a backlit display and it looks really good that's my big hang up about going back to old handheld game systems like i've got a game boy advance and my old game boy color that i bought many years ago 
and trying to play those things, making sure you have enough light on the screen is kind of annoying. And I don't have right. one of those like golden Game Boy Advance SPs, like the second generation version with a really good backlight. And I stupidly sold my Game Boy Micro, which was still new in the box, for like a hundred bucks a year or two ago. And they're selling for like hundreds of dollars, even in used condition now. But this is interesting. I, I imported a light from Japan, a backlight from Japan once, and I took it all yeah. apart and added a uh, and added a backlight, you know, to an original GBA. I never did quite get all the dust out of it, though. It was never quite the same after that, but it was lit. That's the key to me. I, I don't want to ever go back to non-backlit right, exactly. uh, handheld game systems. That's why my Game Boy, not my Game Boy, my PlayStation Vita Go is my go-to like custom firmware toy. But, you know, once again, only for things that I legally own. But I probably have two more three cool, copies of. The more cool thing is this This uh, will run MAME. So you can do MAME, MAME ROMs. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Oh, it is a chat it's, here. Uh, it's... Well, legal, you know, for ones that you own from, you know, old ROMs that you actually really own. I wouldn't suggest that uh, you do anything that would be, yeah, you know. Your PC is taunting me in the chat by telling me that he has a micro. You know, I had a micro. It was a nice black one. It was still new in the box. It was one of those things where when they were on Amazon for like 90 bucks, yeah, whatever, I'll order one of these. I took it out of the package. I put in a, I think it was like Final Fantasy VI or something. I'm like, this looks really clear. It's really, really high quality screen. It's very small. And then I was I was into playing like PlayStation One games on my custom firmware PSP at the time, so I didn't really care. And then I got my Vita, and I didn't care, and I sold it. And it's I've, it's one of the biggest regrets of my entire life. That's probably not true, but actually it is true. <laughs> not gonna lie. All right, uh, what is next on the list here as we try to get through this? Oh, th- th- I I I'm kicking myself because I don't have one near me to grab, but. I don't have a first-gen Sound Blaster. I have two. Oops. I think we lost him. Yeah, but he's frozen in a great position, though. Yeah. Are you frozen, Josh, or are you just sitting still? Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. We lost both of them? Yeah. Is the stream still up? Can't tell. I'm still talking to you. Yeah, your signal didn't uh, skip a beat. Yeah, it must be my fault, then. Uh, well, okay, so let's, um, let's yeah. just finish the show, and we've got one more news article to talk about, and that is the uh, creative uh, 30-year, 30th anniversary edition uh, Sound Blaster products. They've got a, uh, a the AE9 and the AE7 sound cards. One is a external uh, card, and one's an internal PCIe card. Did you, did you get a chance to look at this? Because I... I wasn't prepared to speak about this. Uh, do you have any any thoughts on this, uh, Brett? I only re- I only read about it because I am an audio enthusiast. So I thought, well, how much better is it going to be than my you know reasonably high end current um, ASUS three seventy board? Uh, and I just got a uh, a Gigabyte Designare Z three ninety for my next build, and I'm like, well. You know, do I invest in an audio card? I mean, how much better is it than supposedly the, you know, the the, the board manufacturers, uh, you know, of that tier generally brag about, you know, how cool their audio is or how well insulated it is electrically, how low noise it is, what their frequency response is, how en- enjoyable it is to listen to. So I've often wondered, I'm like, am I missing something here in, uh, you know, in audio fidelity by not investing in a card? So 
Uh, I do like the idea of having uh, an external um, controller volume, uh, be able to to plug in different um, mics or different headsets or things like that. So, you know, that's that's pretty cool. An external DAC is obviously going to be an advantage from a noise isolate, isolation perspective. Um, you know, electrically, the a motherboard is a, obviously a lot hotter from an RF perspective than an external DAC. So, you know, intellectually, that makes sort of sense. But you know, the board manufacturers brag so much about how cool their audio is and, you know, how they isolate it and do all the right stuff to make it nice. I've never had one. So, you know, I'm wondering if I'm missing out. <laughs> That's my perspective, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and I, I use a external, I use a Peachtree Sonodac uh, as an okay. external USB device. Um, but it's, uh, you know, and, I, and there was a time long ago when, you know, you had to have a sound card and sound card. Oh, yeah. They, they they mattered uh, significantly to your experience. Yeah. Well, where are we going to plug your joystick? Exactly. Yep. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I that belays how old I am. Besides the fact of my graying visage. Oh, oh, come on. That, that's uh, most of our audience. I'm sure remembers remembers that. I mean. Okay. All right. That wasn't that long ago. That was mid '90s, even into the late <laughs> '90s. But uh, yeah. So uh, we'll you know check this out. Who's uh, that? Sebastian's back. It worked. Who's that green guy? I know. I don't know why it's green. Except I'm in Chrome, which always sucks. Well, uh, do you have any thoughts on this? And we're just talking about audio. On the uh, creative 30th anniversary Sound Blaster cards. Uh, Yes. I mean, I'd be curious to test this against. Obviously, we looked at the EVGA uh, new audio card. That was their first audio card and a premium one and sound blasters obviously had this pedigree of really since the beginning creative has kind of helped define pc audio it's sound blaster compatibles became pc audio for gamers and i'm just talking about like the early days obviously there's there's been a whole thing with like 3d audio and then of course getting into surround sound and stuff but uh and of course i during the break i went and grabbed one of my i keep these motherboards around this will give you a, a look into my storage methods. Keep motherboards around simply to hold expansion cards. So every slot is populated here. And I have, I don't know if this is, this is a Sound Blaster 16 right here. I'll just pull this out. But, you know, you've got like the Sound Blaster, the Sound Blaster 2.0. Like the, the Game Blaster was the first card. I don't know if this is the 30th anniversary of Game Blaster or Sound Blaster. I'd have to actually look up the, the dates, but. Yes, AdLib, I agree, Mirror in the chat, AdLib makes things better. But that's the great thing about cards like this, because starting with this, I think the Sound Blaster had the OPL2 chip in it. This has, I think it's the OPL3, if I can find it here. This is the YMF262 uh, FM synthesis chip. So it's kind of the best of both worlds, plus... You've got your wavetable header on it. Uh, you've got a CD-ROM a controller built into this thing. So it, creative, if you're into PC gaming at all, you know the name, you know Sound Blaster. And it's cool to me that, that they're coming out with some new stuff. You know, It's not like they're coming out with, with reissue retro cards, kind of like we can buy reproduction ad-lib cards. I would love to see them come out with like a Sound Blaster and a Sound Blaster 16 and some AWE cards on like a PCIe bus, although it doesn't really make any sense because the old games are looking for it on the ISA bus. But, you know, regardless, 
I, I was I thought it was cool, and I, I'd like to hear how close uh, the sound quality is on the new cards to like the new audio card because that was the, the highest quality two channel audio I've heard from a computer. So pricing is high, though. You're definitely paying for that premium audio experience. And Josh is back too. Uh, whoop, I, hang on, and I uh, yeah, unplugged my uh, microphone and webcam. Because when my machine came up, it said USB devices uh, were not recognized. Huh. That's bizarre. So Microsoft it screwed us all again. Which oh, is unfortunate because I pulled out some sweet, sweet sound cards. Where are they? Come on. Show us your hardware, Josh. You know, like I mean, that's... God. Go I was just, I was just I, talking about this that's, card that's... in my hand. I was going to say my stream didn't go down because I'm actually on a Hackintosh. Oh, oh you. <laughs> this is not a Mac podcast. It's, uh, it's PC hardware. I even PC swapped hardware. out op amps on this. This is one of the first yes. boards that had op amps that you could swap out. But this is not a, this is not a sound card. I'm holding up a uh, Diamond Fire GL1000. Oh, wow. I keep, here. I keep my ISA sound cards in the basement. You guys keep them with, next to your desk. With memory expansion installed. Can, can you name this one? What? Let's see here. No, I cannot. It's got 64 megs of memory on it. That's too new. That's too new for me. It's uh, Audiology S2. It's the only group <laughs> that... Uh, <laughs> what? The, the Korean, uh, Ozen, uh, they had an XFi. Of course. They were the only one that Creative sold to. And licensed out a card, so it's an XFi, and it's non-creative. I think the only one in existence. Fun times. That particular that particular card is the only one in existence. Well, no, 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 no. That's the only product line. Okay. Well, I've got a 3D Rage Two DVD here. It says DVD you know? hardware decode built in. Dude, I've got in Sonic. PCI sitting behind me as well as an A32, but I have to actually dig into plastic containers to get those. Yeah. yeah. I'm disappointed. That only had a single ISA bus. Uh, so, I mean, I don't know. It's kind of lame. Anyway. But anyway, hey, welcome back. Yes. Welcome back to anybody yeah. watching on the stream. Uh, that was pretty much it. I mean, that we the, the creative 30th anniversary talk was the last thing on our list. One of the things I, I was going to mention earlier is that as I hold up the Ryzen 9 3900X, which I'm holding too close to the camera for it to want to autofocus on or else maybe it's my face. Let's put it in front of the face. Stop face detecting. Can you read this? 3900X, which is mysterious and difficult to obtain. Uh, we have a, a, a guinea pig in our PC Pro Public Discord who has kindly purchased from the AMD authorized reseller, which scares the crap out of me. And supposedly that chip is on its way and will be delivered, I think before the weekend. So we will, I'll be checking in on the progress of that. Hopefully people are not getting burned by something that's not actually sold by Amazon, but being sold on Amazon. But I keep checking for stock levels. And like Josh was saying, if these chips are going to OEMs. If they're, if their stock, I mean, if the availability isn't really high right now, it might take a while for supply to 
come anywhere near demand. But I mean, this was, there were people who I think waited through Zen Plus to get to Zen 2. There's a lot of pent up demand for the new Ryzen 3000 stuff. So, any, let's any wrap comments? it. Let's, yeah. let's, let's, do let's our, wrap it let's up with uh, Picks of the Week. Yes. Josh, do you have a pick? I do. It's the, uh, you know, 3600X. You got to do it. Just two, two, under 250 bucks. They didn't even do 249.99. No, it's 248.50. Oh, look at that. What it's a bargain. sold by Amazon. It's, it's safe. Yeah. <laughs> finally, finally, Amazon has, has the new Ryzen 3000 CPUs. And this is the one that I bought myself for testing and whatnot that we're eventually going to do. And uh, yeah, yeah, I didn't even I didn't even ask Jim for one. <laughs> but, yeah, anyway, point. but yeah, that's uh, I think uh, if you're going to do some overclocking, if you're going to have you know PBO, peanut butter onions. Mm-hmm. No, anyway, no. Uh, this would be the you know I I think this is going to be the better product. Uh, a lot of people swear by the. 2600 you know the old one that it performed damn near close enough to the 2600x and a lot of people are thinking the 3600 is the one to get but you know what i think it's a worth a little extra money to get the x and um you know x is gonna give it to you you know it's been proven time and again give it to you right go with the x it's 50 dollars, but higher clocks and you're going to have it for a couple of years, so good to go. Six cores, 12 threads. Going to be fast. Boom. Yes. Love it. Brett, what did you have? Uh, my, my, pick? my uh, pick was actually sort of embarrassing based on a uh, conference comment you made earlier today. My pick was the uh, Vega 56, which is available. Don't let that $359 over there fool you with uh, with discounts and mail-in rebates. It's Two seventy nine, and it is the frames per dollar king. Challenge uh, me on that. No, I can't yeah. because at two seventy nine, they don't have anything really there because you'd have to go up to three forty nine to get the new fifty seven hundred. That's right. So, but I mean, <laughs> if you're if you're spending two seventy nine, shouldn't you just spend three fifty? Well, this is know, actually. Oh, go ahead. I saw a ten sixty six six gig for for one ninety nine today. Don't do GTX it. TX 1060. Uh, I sold my 1060 Asus OC 1060 on eBay for not a lot less than that, actually. Hmm. Um, but you know, uh, Vega 56 has one other redeeming quality. One other redeeming quality. And you know what that is? Which? You know, what? Hackintosh compatible, easy. Oh, okay. Drive. See, there you go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I knew there was some ulterior motive here. Yeah. So, yeah, if you're looking to build a uh, reasonably pl- priced uh, Hackintosh and, and pick yourself up a uh, easily compatible video card, I think the Vega 56 is a good pick. And and it's frame per dollar uh, uh, sweet spot right now. All right, it won't now. be forever, but for now. No, yeah. oh boy. It's it sure I, does maybe this week. This week. You know, it's All funny. Right. I just had an article up that had the Vega 56 in there compared to multiple current products that you can buy. And I suggest you go to PC you maybe take and that read out. it if you have not. Oh, well, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll, I might want to read that. Josh's return. It's, he's back. Return of the Josh Eye 
four years absent from GPU reviews for some reason, but he's back, and I will be feeding him more GPUs and demanding that he review them this year. So get used to it, Josh. Wait, I read it twice. <laughs> yes. So nice you have to read it twice. Oh, I have a totally irrelevant pick because I couldn't think of any uh, computer hardware at the moment because I'm only surrounded by it all the time. But when I want to take a break from all of this and what I've been doing, uh, which is basically not sleeping and benchmarking, which, you know, everybody has been in that boat. I I watched with some concern as uh, like Steve at Gamers Nexus was releasing videos and releasing videos. And you could just see him getting more and more and more and more exhausted as he went along. And we weren't doing video, but it's still like I'm benchmarking till two, three o'clock in the morning. And then the night before the launch, I was up all night. I just like, I can't go to sleep tonight. And by about 6.45 a.m., I remember sitting at the computer and I was typing a word. I don't remember what the word was. And I started typing it and I was hitting all the wrong letters and I didn't know why. And I started backspacing and I typed all the wrong letters again. I'm like, okay, I have to go lay down. I fell asleep and woke up again at about 8.30, kind of in a cold sweat. I'm like, the article goes up in 30 minutes. I've got to go reread it again and proof it and check all the charts. And I got it going, and then I passed out again until about 10.30. But that was all the sleep I got, and then I was right back at it uh, the next morning on about three hours of sleep. And it's been like that. That's what 7.7 did to everybody. So once we all emerge from this, there'll be X570 reviews and PCIe 4 and all that stuff. But to escape from all of this, I will occasionally go out outside and I'll jump on a bike and just ride around the neighborhood or ride down the road. And uh, so if, if you are tired of leaning your bike up against things and having your three and a half year old son knock it over and potentially damage it on the corner of the table, uh, there's a product called Bike Hand, which is very handy. It looks like something that Johnny Ive would have designed. It looks like the foot of an iMac repurposed as a bike stand but somehow they managed to sell it for 35 bucks instead of a thousand dollars as we've seen with recent Wait, Apple did, stands isn't that a weapon from like halo 2 it could be i mean they but they, they put like this rubber coating on it if you peel oh, well, off the rubber coating safer. then yeah it's 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 fairly it's, it's actually not dangerous i think but it's it's heavier than it looks it's not aluminum it's made out of steel or some Don't kind of pop metal who knows yeah don't fall on it but definitely put your bike on it because it will hold it up pretty much come what may. Very stable. You just set your rear axle over it and it holds it up. So simple, elegant, Johnny Ive inspired design. And uh, yeah, 35 bucks. Or buy the two pack. It's a better deal. $57.99. I just ordered that because I already have one. I'm like, I need them for all my bikes. So buy them in bulk and save, save, save with free prime shipping. And one-day delivery where available at Amazon.com, not a sponsor. That looks like it's made out of the thinnest and lightest aluminum that they could possibly source. It's so, isn't it too bad that Johnny is gone? He's at, like, love love design or design. Love, I, the worst whatever. name you could possibly it, yes. imagine, yes. I agree. Love Actually Design yeah. Incorporated not or a, whatever Something it is. bizarre, very strange. Right. Well, uh, this brings our uh, epic... Two plus hour long podcast, three, four, nine, 59, 49 to a close. Uh, check us out, pcper.com. Uh, he's at, what is it, Josh? It's not just Josh Walrath. There's, there's a middle initial in there. Josh D. Walrath? Josh D. Walrath. D. Josh is all about the D on Twitter. <laughs> uh, 
Brett, do you do you Twitter? Do you social media? I I try not to. It's I have okay. enough stuff to to do. Okay, I'm at Sebastian. Uh, I can't. I wouldn't give that out here anyway. But so go ahead. Okay, fine. Hey, don't don't get a bunch of free followers. That's fine. I don't care. <laughs> But you can you can watch these shows live. We talked about it. Uh, absolutely join our uh, Discord channel. We have a public Discord. Uh, check the show notes for the link to that. That's been popping basically since right before the Ryzen launch. And it's all through. People are in there all day. I'm in there. So uh, until next time, though, uh, I have nothing to say. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>